Back chat. Back chat. Back chat. Politics and current affairs. Backpack. Back chat. Back chat. Your alternative to talk back. That's right. You are listening to Backchat here on FBI Radio, the freshest wrap of news and current affairs. I'm Swetha Das. And I'm Shami Sivasubramanian. And as always, we're going to give you the news you haven't heard on your airwaves this week. First up, you'll hear from Choice Australia's Erin Turner about how us youngins are paying a lot less for Tinder Plus. After that, we're joined by Share the Dignity's Rochelle Courtenay about tackling period poverty during and after the pandemic. But as always, we want to hear from you. Do you think it's fair for older people to pay more on Tinder Plus? Let us know your thoughts on this age-old debate on 0409945945 or tweet us at FBI. It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. Backchat, your alternative to talk back. Did you know that older men are charged nearly five times as much for Tinder Premium, or Tinder Plus as it's called? Okay, insane. A report by Choice Australia found that over 30s could be paying nearly $35 a month for this premium service. And that's compared to young queer females who pay around $7. Is it ageism? Is this illegal? Or is this the justice we deserve? <laughs> Our producer, Nicole Ilya Guyava, spoke to Erin Turner from consumer advocacy group Choice about their findings on Australia's most downloaded dating app. Hi, Erin. Thanks so much for chatting with us today. Thank you for having me. So Choice has conducted an investigation into Tinder and their pricing model. And based on the results of 60 mystery shoppers, it seems like the prices they offered varied depending on the age of the user. Just how significant was the difference between the lowest and highest prices? So we found a real range of prices. Between $6.99 for a one-month subscription to Tinder Plus to $34.37. So a really big difference. Um, up to five times more in some cases. We know that prices definitely varied by age. So if you're over 30, you generally were offered prices double that of people under 30. But there was still a lot of different prices shown to people within those age groups. So there's other factors at play here. And how did the prices differ specifically in the under 30 cohort? Really significantly. So between $6.99 and $16.71, Um, What's really worrying to us is that Tinder has a lot of personal information. It's a dating app. Of course it has your age, your sexuality, your gender, um, your interests and location. And we are worried that Tinder is using that information to set prices. So, for example, in one category, um, if you're a queer man under 30 in a metro area, so um, in Sydney, for example, um, we saw prices from $7.99 to $15.10. Uh, for a month's subscription, so nearly double. Are users told about these price variations anywhere on the app? No, and that's our real problem with this. There's absolutely no transparency. Um, We can't even have a conversation about whether Tinder's doing the right thing by its users or the wrong thing, if they're unfairly discriminating, because we don't know what they're they're using to set prices. Uh, we, we, We trawled through the privacy policy and the terms of service And there are a few vague mentions to things like, we'll treat your data well and we'll be transparent, or we might offer you some discounts. But nowhere does it say you're going to be given a different price to someone else based on what makes you, you. And given that that's really crucial, we think they should be disclosing that up front before you pay. Yeah, I agree. And is it legal 
to get a person to pay more depending on their category? That is a great question and one I have been chewing over for the past few weeks. Um, so it's illegal to discriminate um, in some ways in Australia. We've got some strong discrimination laws, um, but only when it's, it's really unfair and it's based on certain attributes. So, for example, if Tinder was, if we found evidence that they were charging more to some, for someone based on gender, with, with no strong reasoning behind that, um, with, you know, just blatant discrimination, it could fall foul of discrimination laws. Um, but we see price discrimination a lot. Um, the best example is usually student discounts, and we accept it, but it's transparent and it's upfront. Separately, we do actually think Tinder might be breaching the Australian consumer law for failing to be transparent and potentially misleading their customers. Uh, we don't expect that this kind of use of our data to set prices happens. Um, and in failing to tell customers, really omitting that information, we've made the argument that we think they're breaking that consumer law. Tinder has been sued for uh, doing this kind of thing before in the US, but it seems not much has changed since then, especially in Australia. Uh, do you think our legal framework is strong enough to prevent the app from using our data like this? Yeah, that's a great example. That's the California example. And they do have some really strong discrimination laws in California. Generally, are better at suing companies <laughs> than we are in Australia. Um, I do think there's a gap in our law. Uh, we've got some really strong rules, or rules that could be improved actually around privacy, and that, that's how companies take our data without permission or not, and how they store it. But there aren't really explicit, clear rules about what companies do with that data once they have it. And we know that Tinder's not the only company out there doing this. It's just the one that we caught. So it's going to be a growing issue, and we think our laws need to catch up. We all know our data is being collected and used by apps like Facebook and more recently TikTok, but it's more surprising to hear about an app using our personal information to set their prices. Is this a common practice? It's really hard to tell. We've heard of examples um, from choice members and people out in the public of things like, you know, you were searching for a flight um, before March this year, most likely, um, and you know, maybe a week later you search for the same flight and the price goes up a lot, or you search on a different computer and the price is lower. Uh, so we do know that there's data being used to set prices in some cases, but it's, it's totally not transparent. We're not sure if that's based on browser history, on your personal attributes, what the company knows about you, or, or other factors going on there. And that real lack of transparency, it puts companies in control. It gives them a lot more power to get more of us to pay more, potentially for the same service. So TikTok has reignited a discussion about privacy and the safety of our data, and so has Tinder now. Should we be concerned about how much information we hand over to these apps, or is it just a way of life now? So I think there's two issues here. One is, what information do you hand over to a company? The other is, how does a company use it? Uh, because it's one thing for a company to get your information. And, and in the case of Tinder, it's really reasonable that the app knows your age, your sexuality, and your gender, because it's offering you a service based on those. You want to be matched with someone based on those attributes. The problem with Tinder here is that they don't tell you that that information can affect what you pay and potentially the level of service you receive. That's the unfair part here. So there's actually there's a lot of law reform and a lot of work to do to make the internet fairer for everyone, not just big companies. Yeah, I'd love to find out what could actually be 
done about this in, within Australian law to make uh, these transactions more transparent? So th- I think this is the start of a conversation about making these um, transactions more transparent. We've got some ideas at choice. Um, we think we can use a little bit of the consumer law. We probably need a bit more law reform. There's also an amazing book written by an Australian thinker, Ellen Broad, um, made by humans. It's all about algorithms and, you know, basically how companies use data and the need for transparency and accountability. It's one of my favourite books ever. <laughs> um, but it, it really goes into detail about how it shouldn't be this hard to make companies do better. Um, really what we're asking them to do is just be honest and transparent with us. And last question, has Tinder responded to any of this? So we tried to get in touch with Tinder so many times. Our poor investigative journalists tried their official lines, tried to even contact some of their staff on LinkedIn, try to shout out on Twitter. Um, we, were, we were ghosted by this dating app um, to try to get them to comment on this before we published. The, um, they have issued a statement in the last, I think, 24, 48 hours-ish um, that, yeah, they, they do charge people different prices. They haven't explained what data they're using and they don't seem to think it's a problem. Mm. Well, we'll be sure to keep track of that, uh, see yeah. if they respond. Uh, but thank you so much for speaking with us, Erin pleasure. Thank you for having me. It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. Backchat, your alternative to talk back. That was Erin Turner from Choice Australia on whether Tinder Plus's pricing is discriminatory. That's right. Earlier we asked you if you think this uneven uneven pricing was fair, you can text us in on 0409-945-945. And we actually got some texts in. So someone texted in and said, I reckon it's sus if race and sexuality comes into dating app pricing. 100%. Which is a really good point. You know, if you pick one factor, um, what's going to stop them from picking other factors? Factors, which is a bit dodgy. Um, Jennifer from Lewisham has said, if they're earning more, then screw it. Let the old men pay more. Um, Jennifer, why are you adding more barriers to me meeting my future I husband? know, right? Don't you want Swether to have love in her life? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> and uh, David from Newtown says, I think that this tiered pricing reinforces power structures around richer men dating younger women. Ooh. That's a really good point. Go off, David. Yes. Maybe we're part of the problem. Perhaps. (laughs) David, you've given me a lot to think about. Um, But in the meanwhile, while I think, don't turn that dial because up next is Rochelle Courtenay from Share the Dignity on what you can do to help fight period poverty this month. But first, we're going to listen to a song. This is We're Golden by Raymond Brooks. Stay tuned. Well, you're back here on FBI Radio on Back Chat with Shami and Swetha and... Uh, right now, we have Rochelle Courtenay on the line. Uh, it's estimated that over a million Aussies who menstruate can't afford to access pads or tampons. Period poverty affects hundreds of thousands of people each month who simply go without due to homelessness, domestic violence or economic circumstances. These conditions have only worsened during the pandemic thanks to panic buying and financial aid changes. We're joined by the founder of Shared the Dignity, Rochelle Courtenay, about their goal to pair people with these necessities this month. Hi, Rochelle. Thanks for talking to us today. No problem. How are you all? We are well. Now, Rochelle, how does period poverty impact young adults who menstruate? Look, period poverty affects women who cannot afford the very basic of essentials. So that ranges from a young girl who could possibly be attending school and her parents can't afford the basic of essentials, right through to to older women who are 
now one of the highest growth of homelessness in Australia. So it's been nearly two years since the period tax was lifted. Has access to sanitary items changed since? Um, I don't think so. I think that um, that tax has now been abolished, but the, the fact that period poverty keeps growing in Australia because, I mean, if you even look at the figures before COVID, 3.2 million Australians were living under the poverty line. After COVID, they're predicting that that number will rise to 5 million Australians. So, you know, we have to guesstimate that at least 1 million of those are menstruating women who will not be able to afford the very basic of essentials. So what are some of the physical, emotional and mental health risks associated with not having uh, menstrual products? Yeah, look, I have uh, been witness to some girls telling stories of how they've left tampons in for two days because their family cannot afford the basic of essentials. So there's toxic shock. But then there's also the scenarios of um, women and anxiety and how on how they will deal with their, their period. I remember we installed a vending machine into a um, domestic violence services up in top of Queensland and a lady had said, I'd come in here on Monday, I was battered and bruised and I you know, needed help. I've been here three times. Um, trying to flee this abusive relationship, she said, and I needed help for to get a new ho- to get a home. I needed help, legal help. I wanted psychological help for my daughter. She said, and then I got my period, and I just couldn't ask for the help again. And then when the vending machine was installed on the Wednesday, she said, I just sat on the toilet and cried because I I could deal with one thing out of my life, and that was having access to sanitary items. Oh, thanks for sharing that story. Um, as New South Wales braces for a second wave, has it become more difficult to access pads and tampons during the pandemic? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we look at share the dignity's job is to get donated products. So COVID certainly in March and, and in August has closed our, our uh, collections down. So collection boxes are in, in every Woolworths throughout Australia. But if there are no products left on the shelf, then you can't donate them. Um, if the charities that we work with, and there are about 3,000 charities around Australia, are not opening their doors, then where are these women being able to get access to them? We're doing the very best that we can to work with the charities that are open to get them access. But unfortunately, the services that are normally around for women experiencing homelessness are not open. You're listening to Backchat on FBI Radio 94.5 FM with Swetha and Shami. We're speaking with Rochelle Courtenay from Share the Dignity on the State of Period Poverty for Young Aussies Who Menstruate. So, Rochelle, recently the Victorian government announced that free pads and tampons will be distributed in public schools. Do you know uh, of any other states or federal initiatives to help young people access sanitary products? Well, Share the Dignity has our own dignity vending machine and we, we worked um, in talks with Victorian government uh, when they were looking at rolling these out. So we have uh, 45 machines in schools. It's really important to acknowledge that every girl should get an education and should not be missing school because they cannot access sanitary items. I love what the Victorian government has done. It's certainly um, great for girls to get access to those sanitary items while they're at school um, and we would hope that other states will follow in doing that. So we're officially halfway into your August donation drive. What's the goal and how many donations do you think you've received so far? 
we are halfway through, and in some um, you know, in some states, we're seeing great numbers of great donations. So in Queensland, our donations are quite high. In Victoria and New South Wales, not as high as what is needed. We actually work with around three thousand charities around Australia, and I think that. At the moment, there are currently only about a thousand of those open, and they've requested in excess of a hundred and sixty-two thousand packets of pads and tampons, um, which of which I don't know if we'll even reach that hundred thousand in this August drive. So, we have now set up a cash appeal so that people who are not wanting to go out to the shops can still help by just donating the price of a cup of coffee. That's that's incredible. So, uh, how many people will that help, and how long do these donations last for? Look, even if we collect a hundred thousand packets of pads and tampons, that's really only enough to help twenty five thousand women for four months. It's nowhere near enough. When we consider that one hundred seventy three thousand women turned to homelessness services last year, and we have in excess of you know three point two million Australians living under the poverty line. It's not going to go far, but it's better than nothing. So, you know, I've actually seen... um a, a lot of hype around the Share the Dignity Drive. Actually, my mum sent me details about this last week on WhatsApp and we Aww. actually got people texting saying that they've seen the boxes around. So this is amazing. Um, Rochelle, as a last question, how can listeners get involved with the August Drive? Yeah, look, it's really simple to help Share the Dignity. One of the most powerful things you can do is have a conversation. Share, go to our Facebook page, like it and share some of the stories that we share, you know, that talk about girls having to use socks or wadded up toilet paper we can all make a difference by donating just one packet of pads and tampons having that conversation and if you can't get to the shops just head to our website and donate five ten whatever you can afford to help us to make a difference we'll be sure to share those links on our socials but thank you so much for your time rochelle and for all that share the dignity does thank you that was Rochelle Courtenay, the founder of Share the Dignity, on how their August drive will provide hundreds of thousands of sanitary products for people struggling during the pandemic and beyond. You can donate to their COVID-19 appeal at sharethedignity.org.au and we'll be sure to tweet out the links to that. Well, that's all the time we've got for the show today. Another big thanks to our producers, Natalie Sekolovska, Eden Faithful, Millie Roberts, Vanessa Lim and Nicole Ilya-Guyeva. And thanks again to our guests, Erin Turner and Rochelle Courtenay. We'll catch you next week. But before we do, we're going to play a song. Shami, what song are we going to play out the show with? So this song is by Fontaine's DC and it's called You Said and it was recommended by Mia Hull who hosts the uh, morning overhang just before us. And she has a great taste in music. So I'm looking forward to hearing this. Mm-hmm. Have a good weekend, guys. Bye. Bye.